all places together. Here we believe that our lives are connected to one another and rooted in God's inclusive and expansive love for diverse creation. I'm Colleen Montgomery, pastor of All Places Together and your podcast host. Wherever you are, whoever you are, take a deep breath. Today's episode is Questions of Holy Week Part 2. Today, we'll continue to make our way through the questions of Holy Week. Some of our questions will be about the story, but mostly we'll be focusing on the questions that are actually part of Matthew's version of Jesus's final week before his crucifixion and resurrection. It's a thorough examination here. We're going story by story, not quite verse by verse, but like nearly. It's so thorough that I've actually realized I need to do a part three that will come out in the middle of this week. So it'll be the first ever bonus episode of All Places Together. Today's episode part two is picking up where the previous episode left off. So if you haven't listened to that one yet, you may want to. But if you're just going to jump in with us today or you don't remember where we left off last time, we're starting on Monday in the timeline of Holy Week, the day following Palm Sunday. Jesus left Jerusalem and spent the night in a different nearby city called Bethany. So on that Monday morning, he comes back into Jerusalem. But this time there isn't a parade. Along the way, he sees a fig tree and apparently wants a fig tree. But the tree only has leaves, doesn't have any figs on it yet. So Jesus dries up the tree and it dies. So the disciples ask Jesus in Matthew 21, 20, how did the fig tree dry up so fast? Jesus encourages them to keep faith and not doubt because it's faith that enabled Jesus to apparently dry up the tree. So if the disciples keep faith, they will also be able to work such miracles. A quick question with a quick answer, and then they were on their way to where all the big questions will begin. Matthew then enters into a long section of Jesus teaching and interacting with more chief priests and elders. There's a lot of questions in their dialogue. The leaders are trying to understand Jesus's authority, and Jesus responds to them with many of his own questions and with parables. Parables are a particular type of story that are fictional, that are used to teach or make a point. They often have some sort of metaphor in them, and they also have a surprising element. It's a way of teaching about God in a metaphorical way. They often turn the listener's understanding of the world or of God on its head in some way. In the life of the modern church in the here and now, many of these parables are read during times of the year other than Holy Week. I mean, these parables that we're about to talk about from Matthew. And it's good to give them time for reflection other times of the year. They each reveal a different aspect of who God is and how God works in the world. And also, some of them are just straight up confusing and you like need extra time to be able to sit and wrestle with them. 
However, when we do look at them as a whole, one after another, and especially tuning into the questions that are a part of them, we can see the increasing intensity and tension of interaction between Jesus and these leaders. In fact, this whole section is initiated with a set of questions from the chief priests and elders. They ask in Matthew 21, 23, What kind of authority do you have for doing these things? Who gave you this authority? They are speaking to Jesus and the quote, these things, end quote, that they are referencing are, I think, what Jesus did the day before, criticizing the money changers, healing people, and not denying that he is the son of David, aka the Messiah for the Jewish people. Now, Jesus doesn't answer their question and instead says, like, I'll only answer your question if you can answer one of mine. Jesus wants to know by whose authority they think John the Baptist did what he did. Now, John the Baptist is another Jewish prophet who describes himself as only preparing the way for the Messiah. John isn't the one who's going to save the Jewish people. The Messiah is. And John ends up pointing to Jesus. However, at this point in the story, John the Baptist has actually already been killed. He spent his final days in prison, and then his head was cut off. King Herod called for John the Baptist's head to be cut off, and then King Herod presented John the Baptist's head to his daughter, King Herod's daughter. Anyway, it's a really gruesome story, and I unpack it more fully in episode 61, Compassion at the Table. So if you want to hear more about that, check out that episode. So back to the story at hand. The chief priests and the elders are sort of trapped by Jesus's question. If they answer that they think John's authority came from heaven, they are opening themselves up to a religious critique, which they did not want. But if they say John's authority came from the people, then they are admitting that the people could also then give authority to Jesus, which would also be a threat. So like, neither option is great for them. So they do the ancient version of the hands shrugging emoji. Like, we don't know. And then since they didn't answer Jesus's question, Jesus doesn't answer their question. Instead, he begins teaching in parables. So like I said before, these parables are full of questions. And the three parables that follow are the parable of the two sons, the parable of the tenant farmers, and the parable of the wedding banquet. I'm going to summarize these pretty quickly, but you can read them in full in Matthew chapters 21 and 22. The parable of the two sons is a story about, you guessed it, two sons. One who does what his father asked, even though the son said he wasn't going to do it. And another son who doesn't do what the father asked, even though he said he would do it. So after explaining this, Jesus asked the question, which son did the will of the father? The chief priests and the elder answer, The one who actually did the action, not the one who only said the words. Jesus then makes the claim that John the Baptist is like the father and the tax collectors and the sex workers who acted upon his words are like the faithful son. 
and saying that the chief priests and the elders did not listen to John the Baptist or like said they did, but didn't do the action. They are like the unfaithful son. So critique number one. The parable of the tenant farmers is a story about farmers who are renting land from a landowner. The owner sends servants and then ultimately his son to collect his portion of the harvest. And the owner has to keep sending people because the farmers keep killing whoever the owner sends. Another pretty gruesome story here. Then Jesus makes the connection that the chief priests and the elders are like the farmers who are who are ignoring the word and will of the owner, also known as God. Critique number two. They are, the chief priests and the elders are like beginning to pick up what Jesus is putting down. It's not too hard to miss. And so they start kind of planning and plotting about how they're going to get Jesus arrested. The third parable in this series is the parable of the wedding banquet. And it's a story about a king who is throwing a party because his son got married. However, none of the guests come. So the king, inv- the king invites like random people off the street to come. But when the king sees the people are not dressed appropriately, he kicks them out. There is also some murder on both sides of the story. Jesus concludes this parable with the least amount of interpretation. He simply says, many people are invited, but few are chosen. If I'm being honest, this is the hardest parable of this set to make sense of. And the only thing I'm really sure that Jesus is saying here is that he does not think that the chief priests and the elders are currently acting in a way that would get them chosen. Here is critique number three. So like, can you feel the tensions rise with each of these parables? Like, no wonder these leaders were so mad at Jesus. He evades their questions and then critiques them in a not so subtle way in a group of people who are at the temple, who the chief priests and the elders would like to be able to like have some power and authority over. Jesus is sitting there stirring the pot. And he does not stop. The questions keep coming. Jesus continues to teach the people who are there gathered at the temple. Matthew tells us that this teaching section continues into that same day, like later in the day. And now two particular groups of differing Jewish thought have arrived on the scene and asked Jesus questions. The first group are the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees were a group of leaders who focused on the written scriptures and rejected oral traditions that expanded upon what had been written down. They particularly followed the Torah, which is comprised of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Matthew tells us that they do not believe in life after death for anyone, which is really, I mean, interesting because of the question that they ask. They ask Jesus a question about marriage and eternal life, which is odd because they don't believe in it. But here's their question anyhow. Jewish practice at the time was for a widow to marry the brother of her deceased husband, if there was a brother to marry. The first son that the widow had 
with her new husband would be the legal heir of her deceased husband, and then all subsequent sons would be the heirs of their actual, like, biological father. Now, I don't know about the daughters because daughters didn't inherit in the patriarchy, so sorry about that. But the question that the Sadducees ask is this. It's from Matthew twenty-two twenty-four 24 to 28, and I'm paraphrasing here. So if a widow is widowed six times and marries seven brothers, who is she married to in the resurrection? So the idea being that the seventh brother she marries until she is dead. So who is this widow married seven di- to seven different brothers at seven different times, like married to in the resurrection? Jesus answered them with an explanation that in the resurrection, no one is married. We all belong to God and not to each other. This stuns the crowd and the Sadducees are speechless and they leave. Then the Pharisees, another group of Jewish leaders, enter the scene and start asking their questions. Now, you may remember, we've talked about the Pharisees before, so you may remember that the Pharisees are primarily concerned with keeping the law. So their discussion begins with them asking the question, what is the greatest commandment of the law? That's Matthew twenty-two thirty-six. Jesus responds to them that there are actually two most important laws. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says that all commandments and all laws should be interpreted through these two. Jesus responds to them with another question that wraps up this portion of interactions. In Matthew twenty-two twenty-four, Jesus asked the Pharisees, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? The Pharisees answer that the Christ is David's son, King David, who we've talked about. And Jesus references a psalm that was believed to have been written both by and about David. Now, this is really kind of confusing, so stick with me for a second. The verse that Jesus quotes has the Lord, capital L, inviting my Lord, lowercase l, to come and sit at the capital L Lord's right hand. Jesus is inferring that the capital L Lord is Christ, is God, and that the lowercase l is David. And Jesus claims that there is no way that David would use the capital L Lord to talk about his son. But that just wouldn't happen. And so in this verse, the lowercase l Lord has to be David. And this seemed to make both perfect and profound profound sense to everyone who heard it um, to the point that like they are astounded and no one else wants to ask Jesus any questions. I have lots of follow-up questions about this, but we're not here for my questions necessarily. We're here for the questions in the text. So We're just going to keep moving and just remember now that Jesus has like astounded and stunned all of these people who have come at him with these questions. The next chapter of Matthew, chapter 23, is comprised of Jesus speaking to the crowd and his disciples. 
And his focus is on critiquing the way that the legal experts and the Pharisees live out their faith. Jesus says that it is better to be focused on justice, peace, and faith rather than keeping every single small detail of the law. And while there are questions in this chapter, they are primarily rhetorical in nature. Jesus is expressing both deep anger and deep lament that these leaders in the tradition have lost sight of what Jesus claims really matters. So we're not going to really explore those questions together. But if you'd like to read them, Matthew 23. So following this kind of long section of critique, Jesus ends up leaving the temple and the crowds. While he is walking, he begins to talk to just his disciples. This is the action and dialogue of Matthew 24. These lessons are primarily to prepare the disciples for what their life will be like after Jesus is gone and also how to recognize when Jesus is coming back again. Like the previous chapter, the few questions that are in this chapter are rhetorical And I actually have like a million questions about this chapter. All this end time stuff is really confusing and hard to understand. So, But that's like an entirely different episode or let's be honest, an entirely different series. So we're not really going to unpack any of those questions either. Instead, let's continue on to chapter 25. In this chapter, Jesus starts out by telling two parables the parable of the 10 young bridesmaids, and the parable of the valuable coins. Both of these parables continue on the theme of keeping the faith while Jesus is away and being ready for when he returns. These themes that were set up in the previous chapter. The final section of this chapter, chapter 25, sets up a clear expectation for how Jesus' followers are to live out their faith. In contrast to the critique that he provided in chapter 23 about how the Pharisees were living out their faith and how that's not what Jesus thought they should do. So in the parable of the 10 young bridesmaids, there are 10 women waiting outside of the wedding banquet, waiting for the groom, holding their lamps. It's evening. Five of them run out of oil and leave to go get more. And while they're gone, they miss the arrival of the groom and they aren't allowed into the wedding. Jesus ends the parable by saying, you don't know the hour of the day or the day, so keep alert. The parable of the valuable coins tells the story of a landowner who distributes some of his wealth amongst three servants before going on a trip. One servant made more coins with what he was given. The second servant also makes some more coins than not as many as the first with what he was given. And the third buries the coins in a field so he doesn't lose them. When the owner returns, he is pleased with the first two servants for making him more money. But he's angry with the third. Again, the message of this parable is about keeping alert and doing what you're supposed to be doing well. So now that the disciples have been prepped to keep alert and to be faithful to what Jesus is teaching them, Jesus makes clear what he thinks keeping the faith is, what it means to follow Jesus, to do what he does. So Jesus tells a story that is set in the future at the day of judgment, where like God is the monarch, like maybe Jesus is the monarch, 
But the idea is that people are coming before the monarch at the end of time to be judged on how they lived their life. And the people who come before God, who have responded to the needs of their neighbors, are affirmed, are celebrated. The verses in Matthew 25 read this when the monarch is speaking. I was hungry and you gave me food to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothes to wear. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. The people are at first confused. They ask, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you as a stranger and welcome you? or naked and give you clothes to wear? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? The monarch responds, I assure you that when you have done it for one of the least of these brothers and sisters and siblings of mine, you have done it for me. Then the people who did not respond to their neighbors in need come forward, and those who did not feed, give water, welcome the stranger, give clothes to the naked, care for the sick, or visit the imprisoned, are judged. They're judged poorly for their lack in care of compassion for their siblings who were in need. I believe that everything that Jesus has done since entering into Jerusalem builds to this teaching because this teaching shows the fundamental difference between both the political leaders and the religious leaders who were against Jesus. Jesus cares about the literal needs of real people who are hungry, thirsty, cold, alone, sick, and imprisoned. He prioritizes their care above all else and goes so far as to say that caring for them is caring for him. Caring for these people would drain the resources, both financial and social capital of the political leaders. So they're not going to do it. And the religious leaders have very different priorities for living out their faith than Jesus. Right? They're going to follow the law or they're going to follow the Torah. So, all of the leaders are threatened by this teaching and by the priorities of Jesus. And all of their questions so far build to this moment of Jesus clearly saying, I am the one who makes the judgment in the end. And when you care for those in need, you care for me. That's the rubric with which Jesus will judge. And it's clear that the political and religious leaders would not be judged favorably by this standard. And so what happens next in these next verses makes a whole lot of sense. These are the last few verses I want to share for today. And it's the beginning of chapter 26, verses 1 to 5. When Jesus finished speaking all these words, he said to the disciples, You know the Passover is two days from now, and the human one will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the courtyard of Caiaphas, the high priest. They were plotting to arrest Jesus by cunning tricks to kill him. But they agreed that it shouldn't happen until the feast so that there wouldn't be an uproar among the people. You see, the plan to kill Jesus is now in motion. 
In the coming chapters, Jesus will go on to share some final meals and times with his disciples, while his enemies solidify their plans to take Jesus out. But this is the moment where we're going to stop for today. I know we've covered a lot of Bible in today's episodes, more than we usually do together. And there's so many questions, and I know you have questions too that have come up while you've been listening, and all of those questions are worthy of deeper examination and reflection. But the question I want to end with, uh, the questions, plural, I want to end with today are this. Who are the people in our time and places that are hungry, thirsty, cold, alone, sick, and imprisoned? And how are we asking what they need and coming alongside them to support them in their needs? I think this is the question that is most important to Jesus throughout the verses that we read today. So that's why I want us to reflect on it too. Now, as you're reflecting on these questions, it's super easy to get really overwhelmed very quickly. So as you're reflecting, Take some deep breaths, and I invite you to go into some intentional prayer time with God, whatever that looks like for you, whether that's when you're on a walk or when you're journaling, when you're driving, uh, when you're on public transport, like whenever it is that you talk to God, and pray for God's guidance on how to respond to the people around you. After all, jumping into action isn't always the best thing. I don't want you to hear this teaching from Jesus and suddenly feel like, oh gosh, I have to earn my salvation. Like I have to do all of the things for all of the people. Like that's not, 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 it's not what I believe. Like I don't believe we earn our salvation. Like we're getting to how, how we are shared uh, salvation. We're getting there. We're not there yet, but keep listening uh, to the next episode. So rather than feeling like anxious or jumping into action, I just invite you into prayer. And remember that often listening, praying, and collaborating are the most effective ways to care for others. So it's okay for it to take some time. So now as we enter into Holy Week and all the questions that it brings, may we trust that God is with us and guiding us wherever, whoever, and however we are. A prayer for rising tensions. God of all wisdom, when I take in the news, when I listen to my trans siblings and BIPOC siblings, when I see politicians fight, when I hear people speak from their pain, When my boundaries and expectations are crossed, my emotions can get hot and heavy. The tension is rising around me and the tension is rising in me too. Jesus, your son, knows rising tensions. He lives it. He dies because of it. And he rises again to new life so that we are saved from the ultimate price of it. 
Help me to hold on to hope that the pain, division, and hate that I see will not win in the end. Guide me into the places where I can be a support to people who need what I can share. Grant me peace to rest, because ultimately this is your world, your people. You've got this, and you've got me. You've always got me. Amen. Thank you for joining us at All Places Together. We hope you experienced God's love for you and the world in today's episode. There's still time to get on the list, the email list for All Places Together, Easter's Zoom communion. We're gathering on Monday, April 10th at 8 p.m. Eastern time. There's a sign-up sheet available on social media and also in the show notes. And you just have to sign up so you can get the Zoom link. If you're not sure about communion, that's totally okay. If you just want to come and see what it's like to be together with a group of people who are wrestling with the same questions that you are, we would love to have you join us. And if you've got any questions about what it's going to look like, how it's going to go, feel free to send me a message on social media, or you can always email me at allplacestogether at gmail.com. That's A L L. P-L-A-C-E-S-T-O-G-E-T-H-E-R at gmail.com. If you are any sort of leader at a traditional worshiping congregation, know that you are in my prayers this week. I know that there is so much to do between now and Easter. I also recognize that you may have totally missed listening to this episode during Holy Week because you had too much going on. The list was too long. I both understand that and love when people take the time to catch up on the podcast. So just remember that whenever you're listening to this, I'm so thankful for all that you do to share God's love in your congregation and in your life. And I'm so grateful to be a person who gets to pray for you and encourage you along the way. As always, we are also so thankful for our mission partners, the Virginia Synod and the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. It's so important to be church together. Thank you to all of the individuals who also give to financially empower the ongoing work of APT. If you would like to share financial support, you can give through our website, allplacestogether.org. Scroll to the bottom where it says give now, click that button and you'll be redirected to our giving platform. We know it can be hard to give financially. We celebrate all of the ways you share the stories of all places together with the people in your life and engage with the APT community online throughout the week. If you've got friends or family who are driving for Easter or for spring break, I hope you'll share the All Places Together podcast with them. You can recommend this series on the questions of Holy Week or maybe share a different episode or series that was particularly powerful for you. Your word of mouth recommendations to the people in your life are the best ways to help All Places Together connect with new people. Until next time, remember that God is with you and God loves you wherever, whoever, and however you are.